Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the Venture Fizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. This is episode 185, and today's guest is Helen Adiosan, CEO and co-founder of Care Academy. Care Academy recently announced its Series A round of funding, but I need to put this accomplishment into perspective. Raising capital is hard for any entrepreneur, but Helen had some extra obstacles in her way. I'm talking about a pandemic, she's a female founder, and a black entrepreneur. The percentages for each independent scenario for raising capital are not favorable, never mind putting everything all together. No one could have predicted obstacles around a pandemic, but the other numbers around the other obstacles need to be improved, which I hope is finally starting to happen. But as you'll hear in this podcast interview, Helen is a resilient entrepreneur and our process of fundraising was incredibly thorough. It's a process that all entrepreneurs need to pay attention to. Care Academy is the leading home care and home health workforce empowerment platform, upskilling and preparing workers for the growing elder care market and home care model. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like the importance of storytelling and its impact on your company, Helen's background story as a multi-generational entrepreneur and experience in education, a deep dive into Care Academy and the opportunity ahead to transform the caregiver market, how they were able to adapt and respond to COVID-19, and so much more. Okay, quick side note. If you have been enjoying the VentureFizz podcast, then please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. The more reviews we have, the more that people will discover these amazing stories about entrepreneurs across the Boston and New York entrepreneurial ecosystems. Thanks in advance. I appreciate it. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Helen. Helen, thanks for joining us. Hi, Keith. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to talk with you. Yeah, I'm really, really excited. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about Care Academy, which is transforming something that's very meaningful to me. I've, I have a father who's you know 76 now. Uh, oh, wow. He, so he's at home, and luckily he's okay. healthy, so he's not at the point where he needs at-home care. But I know the future, you know, that may be something that we need. Uh, so we're going to talk about how you're transforming that industry, but uh, but before we get into that, uh, you know, I th- you just closed your Series A round of funding. Congratulations! Oof, yes, we're very excited. It was definitely a team effort. I'm I'm super I'm thrilled for what that means for the company. Yeah, so I mean, f- raising a Series A round of funding for a company is hard, regardless of the situation, timing. You know, building a company is incredibly hard, and raising that A round of capital is is very hard, but mm-hmm. You know, to put it in perspective, um, we're dealing with a pandemic. You're a female founder, a black mm-hmm. entrepreneur. Yes. So when you look at the statistics of the things that I just outlined, you know, the, the, the statistics for raising funding with those obstacles are not favorable and need to be improved. Mm-hmm. So I thought it would be good to talk about your experience, uh, you know, of, of just you know, building a company and raising capital and like what obstacles have you had to overcome and what advice you would have for others? Absolutely. You know, I think, um, I, you, you, you mentioned sort of all of the different check boxes, right. Of right. all the, of the, the impossibilities, I think, you know, and I've said this on a couple conversations, um, I, you have to be rooted, I think, as an entrepreneur. Um, I think that goes for any entrepreneur in the midst of anything. Um, I believe that when the story is told of who we are at Care Academy, it's one of a story of persistence um, and then also faith, right? Faith in you know what we're building, who we are in the moment. And for me personally, I'm rooted by uh, my own religious faith, but um, you know, I, I think I think those are the two things that have to be guiding lights for any entrepreneur. You need to know why you're doing what you're doing to begin with, and then everything else sort of falls into place, um, and you're able to kind of really champion through any kind of headwind, right? Um, for us in this moment, and I and I talked a little bit about it um, as we were, you know, uh, announcing the raise. I, I I see it as a moment of uh, excitement, right? Because it says that. Um, Care Academy is very much made for this moment. We were able to raise in this moment because we told the story and the narrative of being made for this moment. Um, and maybe the best way to talk about this is just even this, the order of operations. And hopefully this provides folks some level of guidelines. Because I think this is what I learned in this process was super helpful no matter what's happening in the world. And you know, I think that there's all kinds of things happening right now. Um, but um, I think founders have um, the opportunity to be 
resilient. Um, so we knew we were going to raise an A round. And by the way, I want to shout out um, Pillar VC. They have an amazing blog article um, that talks about Series A. I wish I had read it, but I'm glad that I did most of the things that they mentioned in the, in the, in the blog piece. Um, we just started doing research. Um, I am a huge nerd. And so like anything, um, I, I, I didn't want to make the fundraising process because we, I went through this with the seed round, um, make it personal, right? It was a game. So if you think about a game, there's gamesmanship, there's strategy. For us, the strategy was, um, you know, we wanted a certain type of investors, those who believe in the long-term plans of Care Academy. This was back in maybe November, December of 2019. Um, realizing also that November and December is not the time to be <laughs> opening up a Series A round. So there's also that in the background that most people don't know. Um, but Thank it was God great. you did. Thank God you did. I know. <laughs> you started in March. Amen. Absolutely. We started in March. Oh, I, I don't know, right? You know, so... Um, but we started just talking to folks. Um, I wanted to hear not just generally, I, I wanted to hear generally what was going on in terms of investor sentiment. And at that point it was pretty high. Um, but then in the background, um, I you know, want to shout out a whole bunch of entrepreneurs within the Boston landscape who just raised their Series A. So I set up, I made a point and I said, every single week, I'm going to meet with three different entrepreneurs who raised their Series A. Talk me through the process. How, why was it hard? How was it hard? How do I talk to my current board about this, right? And so um, a lot of the folks from my uh, Techstars class, uh, four of the companies at that point had raised an A, and they were so gracious and, and talked me through their process, um, offered to make introductions. And then um, Christmas, Christmas Day, I probably got on my uh, family's nerves um, because what I did is I took a list of every single sort of introduction. I put together a pretty massive list and then said, who are the connections that I have? So over three days, I just sort of manually went through LinkedIn and started contacting folks. Um, so by March, we were really, and this is, and there's certain things that were strategic, there's certain things that were really fortunate on our part. Um, March, the week before March 11th, or a couple days before March 11th is when the WHO um, announced that <laughs> COVID-19 was a global pandemic. And uh, we signed um, a term sheet after just having the conversation with several um, investors, um, found a term sheet that, that made a lot of sense and worked for us. Um, and then also knowing what the impending tide was, I think that was also the time to say, okay, like, let's move forward because now we're having to sort of beat what's happening. We don't know what's happening. It's already more uncertainty on top of uncertainty um, in terms of people's ability to raise. Um, and we were really fortunate. So that was March, uh, early March, mid-March um, is when we signed that term sheet. We'd been speaking to other investors who were already inside and those who were newly interested in the company. Um, and it was a matter now of telling the story. And I always want to, I think if you get anything from this, it's about process and also about narrative. I think Wait, one, one, before you get into the yes, narrative please. part, yeah. the process. So when you went through and manually looked at LinkedIn and at your connection, so did you reach out to that mutual connection and say, hey, would you mind making a warm intro to that investor? Yes. And I made it as easy as possible. And this is, it's tedium, right? It's not, this is not sexy stuff, but it's the stuff that I think it's the 80% that attributes to, I think, success is the stuff that you do in the background and you do repeatedly. Um, so I asked for the warm intro. I wrote a short blurb of the intro and then a long blurb of the intro. So everything was essentially teed up as our PR package from entrepreneur to investor to be able to leverage that. And I think two or three of our investors who, who closed the round with us came by way of that process. But wow. in order to do that, that was also building a pipeline to your point, I think about underrepresented founder, underestimated founders, as Arlen Hamilton likes to say, um, it, it was a process of looking at a list of, you know, that well over 80 investors, right, to get to those three that came in, as well as our insiders. And so um, those mechanics are tedious, but they're really necessary. Absolutely. 
Okay. And then let's talk about the narrative part, the storytelling. The narrative. Yeah, absolutely. So as a founder and um, as a founder and um, as a CEO of your company, I always believe that every, I think we like to talk a lot about metrics. We like to talk a lot about sort of the science and the math, but the math is actually pretty simple um, of, you know, between comps and how we get to that and also your cap table. The math of, of doing this is relatively simple. Um, the thing that is the art that I think that I'm still refining, I'm still a work in progress in doing, but I, I love doing um, is being the chief storyteller and the architect of that story at Care Academy. Um, I think increasingly that is what I think not only I have to do, but you know, being the chief architect of that story is you don't stop telling the story ever, right? And especially during a fundraise. Um, and so after the, what felt like the world fell off the cliff and then we signed that term sheet, I really found myself leaning into with the people who had already, by the way, were excited about the company, helping them tell the story of Care Academy, helping them tell a cohesive story, uh, a narrative around Care Academy. One, because you want to make sure that you, you got to keep people excited. The people in the room also have to be excited in order to bring new people into the room. So the story was that Care Academy was, again, made for this moment. Um, what we predicted, and as soon as um, I, I love that Sequoia memo around sort of Black Swan, that there's going to be, a, there was going to be a shift that we were already anticipating to home care, right? If the most viable aspect of keeping a loved one safe um, emerging in this moment was in the home, we needed to lean into that. And so we did in a, in a very, um, in a very precise way. So on one end, um, and I credit the folks at Care Academy um, for doing a remarkable job. So within a week, we'd released a free COVID class. So that was made available to everyone, including folks who weren't our customers, right? Because we wanted to make sure that we were readily wrapping our arms around the needs of our customers and people who just are, were looking for something. People were in shell shock, right? I think I, we were still in shell shock, quite admittedly. Yeah, no, it was crazy. Uh, think of March. Yeah, right? It was, it was Can you? Scary. I, I, I had to document, I think, that moment because it was terrifying. Um, I, I still think back to that. And I think even like years and years from now, our grandkids, like, I, I don't think I'll believe it. Mm -hmm. um, and then to our investors, it was also the story that what's about to happen in healthcare needs a company like Care Academy, right? Um, we need better ways to get people from unemployment to healthcare. Um, we need this industry to grow to accommodate the onslaught that was about to happen in terms of capacity building. Um, and so we were very readily emailing everyone, and I mean everyone, you probably got emails, Keith, um, <laughs> about our, our webinars and, you know, to tell that story of, one, how do we help our customers get through? Um, we're calling customers as well to kind of getting and getting their feedback before we did these webinars, but also to show on um, investors that we're the type of company that was customer centric, one, and then two, we were, I, I wasn't just saying it in my pitch deck, I wasn't just saying in my individual pitches, right, we're leading from the front. Um, and so I believe that it's incumbent upon any entrepreneur to be able to tell that story and, and be able to talk about how you lead from the front with your product and how you're flexible and show that level of flexibility in the moment. I think it's even more incumbent for underrepresented and underestimated uh, founders, whether you're a black woman or you're, you, know, you don't live in that intersectionality, maybe one or the other or any other range of um, underrepresentations to live in narrative making to build a story. Um, the folks that we lionize within entrepreneurship are able to tell our masterful storytellers, for better or for worse, right? I think we can all think of examples. I don't have to name any names, um, but that is just an inherent part of of what I think anyone has to do in order to cross the finish line, especially of a fundraise. Well, so over I think it was over the weekend. It was recent. Eric Paley had a from Founder Collective had a series of tweets where he talked about, it's not about your pitch deck, it's about your story. And yes. I wanna feel like I'm going through a movie with the storytelling, like kind of start off and then build up to, you know, the dramatic, you know, That's so it's right. just like, you know, it's just the storytelling aspect is such an important part that uh, probably doesn't really go into much of that advice of raising funding. So that's, that's 
very powerful stuff. That's right. Eric is a smart guy. That's exactly it. Oh, That's he's, exactly he's, it. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's <laughs> one of the best of the best. That's why he's like yes. number nine on the Midas touch list. So. <laughs> I'll never get when I walked into the founder collective office for the first time and they had their plaque of all their company logos. And this was, you know, probably, I don't know, nine, eight years ago. I don't know, probably even longer. And they had Uber on the wall. I'm like, you're an investor in Uber? He's like, oh yeah. Yes. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. yeah. And pill pack and pill pack. They, oh, I mean, yeah, they, the list good. of founder is <laughs> on and on and on and on. It's, you can't even start there. Like, Anyways, so let's uh, let's talk about your background. So, um, yeah. you know, from what I we'll, we'll talk about where you grew up, and from what I gathered, you're you know multi generational entrepreneur, right? Yes, yes, I am a multi generational female entrepreneur. Um, I um, I'm the first tech entrepreneur per se. I think in the most um, traditional sense, but um, but in terms of you know building something, bringing customers to it, and growing it. Um, I, I am proud to say that it, that's part of my makeup. It's part of my genes. Yeah. That's awesome. So where, where did you grow up? Yeah, I grew up in Marietta, Georgia. Um, so it is just 30 minutes outside of Atlanta. Um, my parents emigrated to the U.S. from Nigeria um, first to come to uh, college. Uh, so my mom was studying nursing. My dad was uh, st studying um, pharmaceutical sciences. Uh, and then they had me. I was the surprise. <laughs> I was like a surprise baby. Um, and they moved back to Nigeria and then they came um, back to the U.S. Um, and, and settled in Atlanta, one, because uh, there was uh, Atlanta, if, you know, if, if you guys are familiar with that, um, has a, a pretty uh, large Nigerian population. So grew up there with other family members. Um, and my I will credit always and forever um, both my parents you know even though um, they took you know they, they were entrepreneurs on the side so my dad was always selling cars my mom was you know thinking of new business ideas and my aunt I had an aunt who was exporting lotions while working you know as a nurse as well um, so I still saw entrepreneurship all around me and um, entrepreneurship always aligned with the sense of economic, you know, advancement, right? Like you could not, you know, really advance, I think, and I still believe that here in the U.S. without some sense of entrepreneurship or intrapreneurship um, and building for one's own self. And so that was really imbued um, from a very early stage for me. Um, and as I grew up, my parents were um, traditional Nigerian parents. If you know anything about traditional Nigerian or, or immigrant parents, um, you know, be the best at anything, right? Whatever. I don't care if you want to be the dog catcher or, you know, a fireman or whatever that is. Um, do your absolute best, right? And, and, and they showed that in their own profession. My dad's a car salesman. I think that's a lot of where I earned my chops is being able to storytell, is watching him. Um, he, um, I grew up in a household where we talk about politics and we talk about arts and science and history. Um, and even, you know, as young as seven or eight, um, I, I did really well in terms of model UN and, you know, being able to kind of stand my own ground um, because I had a dad who's like readily poked hole, like poked holes in arguments and, and pushed me um, to be able to do that. And so that's, that's all a part of my makeup. And, you know, it's, it's part of, I think, what makes Helen, Helen, even today. So. And then you went off to the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame to. Uh... Fighting Irish. Oh, yes. Yeah, the Fighting Irish. And, and that was a complete, it was complete culture shock. Um, I think I spent like, I always joke that I spent. Um, I'm Irish by tuition, and I spent my freshman through junior year really kind of figuring it out. Um, I um, I grew up raised Catholic, and so um, Notre Dame was just really, from a sense of you know that perspective, mm -hmm. like the place to be. Um, and it was wonderful um, in the sense of I made a ton of great friends. Everything was really sort of girded by like academics and faith and football, um, love football. So um, it was it was just really uh, a, a great place to come of age, I'd say. Um, and again, I think it was just maybe even a further solidifying because I, there are places where Notre Dame and I aligned and there are places where I was very different, I think. And um, it, it was another place to learn how to, um, 
really kind of stand my ground and, and, and figure out things and, and, and make a way. So I'm, I'm deeply appreciative for, for that experience. Yeah. What did you do after school? After school, I had two choices. Um, I, um, there was uh, a senator uh, who just won in a neighboring state, um, a really compelling guy that I actually, that was the first time I was ever in Boston was to speak, see him speak at the DNC um, by the name of Barack Obama. Um, I got a call from his campaign a couple of weeks before graduation. And at that point, I was also, um, uh, I'd also applied to an organization called Teach for America. Um, and I had two choices. So that was, that was really great. Um, and I chose to teach for America because, <laughs> um, I chose teach for America. Um, but, um, it was great in, in the end, I, I ended up still working with folks from, um, his first campaign. Um, but, uh, teach for America was again, I, you know, I'm really grateful for these moments where I'm kind of thrown into a deep end. And I always say my kids taught me a lot more than I think I taught them. Um, so I was a ninth grade English teacher. I fortunately got to come back to Atlanta. Um, I taught in Southwest Atlanta at a school called Westlake High School um, and learned a ton. And um, really kind of that moment set me on the path of, you know, the importance of education. I, you, everyone knows the importance of education generally, but I think being within the educational system and having to teach and seeing, you know, really great teachers teach and, and hone their craft and um, make an impact really influence me um, in terms of how can I set my trajectory and learn more about how I sort of fit within the educational models, which is what eventually brought me to Boston. But, um, but yes, I, I learned a ton. And then you continued to, you, you continued your studies. So then you attended Harvard. And so yes, that's right. That's right. Was it always important to you just for continuing education? Was that like something that was just personally important or do you think it was yeah. more professionally important? It was both, I think. Um, education, so, you know, if when you kind of drill into the root of something, um, I, so in between Atlanta, so I uh, got to finish out my first two years of teaching uh, with Teach for America uh, and then 2008 happened, right? Um, and so I was actually one of uh, a cohort of teachers who were laid off. Um, and I, you know, I will never forget it. I think that was also a very momentous um, for, for late millennials. I think that's something we're gonna remember as part of, again, our, 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 our genes. Um, and uh, I moved up to DC, um, got a really great uh, opportunity with um, Teach for America's policy office, as well as an organization um, that took a lot of principles of um, the Obama campaign and then pivoted them towards thinking about ways of teaching com community organizing. So it's, again, that reflexology of teaching and policy and things like that. Um, I came here to Boston uh, with the intent of going back down to DC um, and doing more, you know, I'm, I, I love politics. I love discussing policy. Um, I love looking at policy frameworks and the history of policy. So I was like, all right, I'm going to be a policy person. And um, fortunately, and really interestingly, um, Harvard had opened up the iLab. And there's something magical about 2008 to 2010, because, and I think when we go back and look at the historical marker of that, um, we're going to see that, you know, this country came out even more resonant, right, out of one of the most major financial crises with this idea of some of the strongest companies to emerge, the ones that you know, we consider unicorns right now, there's a cohort of them that really emerged out of this moment. And I think we were all struck by that. Um, it, was a, it was a high point and a very big low point. Um, and so I just wanted to have a part of it, right? Even if it was ancillary, I had no intention of being a founder. Um, I call myself an unintentional founder, but I was just so struck by what was happening. And Boston just seemed very buzzy. And so what I started doing was a one-year master's. I made a promise to myself to figure out a way to get into the iLab some way or another. Um, one, and then two, and I apologize. I got my master's degree, so somebody thought, you know, I, I earned it. But um, I spent a quarter of my time purposely going to meetups, and I wanted to just be a part of the scene and hear how what people were working on and, um, and listen to engineers and, and get to talk to them. Um, I didn't at this point know that it was necessarily going to be me founding something, but I, I de definitely knew I wanted to be part of entrepreneurship. And I saw that as a way to 
take some of the ideas that we talk about in policy and make them real because sometimes policy um, it can it, 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 it may fall flat right um, in terms of its resonance with getting something out to market and the go to market um, and entrepreneurship just seemed like a way to take a lot of the big ideas and make them real and distill them into a product and make them writ large um, so I just I, I caught the the entrepreneurship startup bug um, when I came to Boston. Who were some of the companies that were there at the time? Was it like Love Pop there? And yeah, Love Pop. Like I mean, just you, you. It, it just you know, I was reading you. Like I was reading all kinds of the 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 things that were kind of going on in the ecosystem at that point. I had heard about TechStars and like Y Combinator and just watching companies emerge. Um, you know, at, I, th those are some of the, the companies that were going doing really interesting things. And just the idea, because I'd grown up in Atlanta and especially among Nigerians, that you sort of like you, you cut your teeth and you bide your time in order to do anything meaningful. So to see people within my age cohort who were creating companies that had resonance was like just i mean mind-blowing well let's talk about care academy so one of the yeah. pieces that um investors generally look for not to focus again on the investing side but this connects the dots a little bit so one of the pieces that they look for is like how is this entrepreneur uniquely qualified to build a company right so talk about your history in in the character world before starting this. yes Absolutely. Uh, so before I had come up to Boston, um, I think it's this undercurrent of I'm making my way in the world and what are the jobs that I have opportunity and access to in order to earn a living. I think that's a lot of, I think that's also the secret sauce of why um, folks who um, come from marginalized communities and also low-income communities are uniquely qualified to start companies because they're so attuned and they're in the world. Um, and I was fortunate enough to work um, as a caregiver um, in the home care setting um, from undergrad, grad school, and even while teaching, right? Just to make, make a living and make a way in the world. Um, and one of the things that, keep, that kept coming back to me is the assumption, I think, by a lot of folks that I was already ready, right? I took a couple training courses um, in terms of working with um, my clients, uh, whether they're older adults, whether they're children. Um, and I was always in this place of being one step behind, right? I, I didn't feel necessarily as qualified, right? Um, and I think we see it every day. Um, I think we assume that caregiving is something that you sort of naturally take in. And I think a lot of families are sort of caught off guard by that. Um, it's an expectation that you just naturally know what to do. Um, and by and large, a lot of the families I was working with would see me as an expert or a nurse. Um, and that's not where I was coming from. I was accessing, you know, at that point, YouTube videos, right? And on Facebook, um, getting feedback and getting ideas from folks. And I, and I, I didn't at that point make the connection. I think, you know, part of me was already saying or attuned to the idea that there had to be a better way, right? And keep in mind, you know, care.com, all those folks weren't necessarily sort of in the background yet, um, but there had to be a much more efficient way at getting what I needed in order to be better and getting recognized for that, right? Um, if when you're a typical sort of overachiever, you, you glom onto the idea of being recognized for that. So how do I do that? How do I make my way in the world? Um, and so as I was thinking about opportunities, having, you know, was, I was in Boston at this point, I was thinking of ideas. At that point, I was roughly 25, 26, started writing down a set of ideas of things that were really interesting to me. They all were around education generally, and there's some really great education. I think Skillshare and a couple other companies that were doing some very interesting things for adult education, and that was like the time of MOOCs, right? So massively open online courses, and everyone was talking about that, but I was thinking much more specific um, to healthcare and specifically to a general population that I think goes under um, underestimated. Um, this moment is making writ large the importance of caregiving in the moment that we're currently in. Um, but at that point, I was saying you have just these market making forces, right? Like there are a lot more older adults 
that are coming on board, you know, at this point over almost 70 million um, uh, to date and set to grow. Um, and you also have not enough people. Like I was working with multiple uh, clients. And so, and then you also have this expectation in the family's mind that they're getting a nurse, right? So how do we match make to the opportunity? And there's a lot of work that still needs to be done. But part of where Care Academy comes in is matchmaking to how do we make learning dynamic and engaging so that a caregiver can see themselves as a crucial part of this and learn the skills will actually help them be valuable to the needs of the client, right? Um, there were several instances, you know, where I knew caregivers who aged out or um, so, you know, the, the situation for their client or their patient had gotten worse. Um, and they didn't have necessarily the skills. And so they had to move on to another opportunity or even worse, you know, um, you know, people, uh, their, their client would pass, right, and pass away. Um, and they had to really reorient. Um, and so uh, I, I, part of my thinking, this is the policy hat on, right, is that how do we have this craziness where, um, we have an older adult population that's rapidly growing, and then you also have um, just folks who are necessary care of older adults, but are pretty much unrecognized in the system. So Care Academy was really built and set up to solve um, issues on multiple fronts, right? The education, the recognition piece, and then also the scalability piece, which I still think is uh, a real, the biggest opportunity right now is making sure that um, we have the quality as well as the scale of the workforce to be able to meet the needs. But then also folks are now realizing in this moment the importance of that workforce. So this is a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting opportunity, I think, um, to align all of those things. And so, well, it's an industry at, you know, there was no national standard for caregiving, right? Still not, still not. Still, still not a national standard. Wow. Okay. So. <laughs> still not a national standard. I'm I'm hoping that by virtue of what we're going through, it is a time, it's a moment, I think, over the next year, and we need to do it fast to step back and say, how do we create a nationalization or some level of credentialing? Some states have credentialing, some states do not have credentialing, and then also quick a good definition of if someone is coming to, you said, you mentioned Keith earlier that you have, you know, a father who's healthy and at home. If you're looking, Keith, for someone to, at some point, you know, work with your dad or care for your dad, um, right now there's a multitude of different definitions of who that person is and who you're getting. Um, and I still find to this day that folks who feel like they're pretty aware of being able to kind of, you know, think and see and do and find resources are really confused by our industry. And so um, what we've been talking about, not just as Care Academy, but also an industry of folks on the long-term care side, how do we help folks as consumers understand who we are and our importance? Um, and I'm super excited about you know, the work that's happening with the HGOA and different folks in terms of being able to make that happen. But yeah, to this day, there is still no national standard of what it means to be a caregiver and the different types. And I think that's going to change soon um, from within the home care industry. So, so how did you like kind of bring us down the journey from like, how did you meet your co-founder and, and yeah. start to kind of <laughs> build the platform to generating, well, then you went through a couple accelerators, mass challenge, yeah. tech stuff. So how did you start to build track or get traction for, for the company? Absolutely. Um, I, you know, through a lot of fits and starts, and I think that's also even just the journey of entrepreneurship. When people say it's a journey, they really mean it's a journey um, where your skills building. Um, I always love to joke that I don't have, you know, necessarily a technical degree or MBA. I have a master's in education, but I'm earning every day my MBA through Care Academy, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think you just have to be in a position of humbling yourself to learn and then execute, right? For better or for worse. Um, so our instinct first was, you know, we, we looked at where could we have the most impact and then where is sort of the lowest hanging fruit. And so we started um, specifically within child care and then pivoted to elder care. Um, and I knew that I needed within the company 
um, someone who had one a passion for what we're building and saw the need for what we're building, but then also had a background in geriatrics too. And so um, I was really fortunate and people always laugh. I met um, Dr. Madhuri Reddy, my co-founder uh, through a site called Founder Dating. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, I remember. Enough, yes. <laughs> um, so um, Founder Dating, a really interesting site. Um, we met a couple times and we founder dated. She was an advisor of the company for eight months as we're going through this repositioning. Um, and so that repositioning included a lot of tests, right? So we were doing a lot of the, you know, the surveys and asking home care agencies as well as, um, you know, different providers you know, what did they think about the service? Um, at the same time in the background, you know, I was setting up before Yvonne, our CTO, joined the company, um, setting up, you know, our first instance of an LMS, an off-the-shelf LMS that we positioned classes and we filmed classes and Madhuri was writing some of those classes and um, getting those out to market. And the purest test of product market fit is just the sell, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we um, had come through a couple of the accelerators and before Techstars, um, we had started selling to home care agencies. So in the daytime, we'd be filming classes. Um, California at that point had just released a set of standards that required that you had continuing education. So we said, aha. So we got a massive list of home care agencies in California and I sort of segmented the list and um, I had no idea how to write marketing emails, but we wrote marketing emails. And then anyone that sort of fit, we'd, I'd call like in the evening, right? As it was afternoon in California mm-hmm. in order to get our first couple of customers. And as we were bringing on the customers, we were learning how to build around them. So, you know, we built our first set of um, uh, reporting tools on Google Docs, right? Because, but what it showed us is one, it, it gave me sort of the confidence of being able to sort of build and sell one um, in spite of, you know, I, I knew the problem and acute, how acute the problem was, but not necessarily from the customer angle. And so learning from the home care agency angle was key. Uh, and two, um, we had a camaraderie with our customers that we still have to this day. That's in part, um, you know, I'm going to advise you on what I need and show you what I need. And, um, hats off, I think, to our entire team because this is imbued within Care Academy. It's part of who we are. And then we're also going to sell to you, right, as the customer, right? So we maintain this relationship. It's almost an advisory relationship where we're building alongside, um, you know, at that point, it was roughly 20 to 30 customers, right, all on the West Coast. So I'd fly to California occasionally to learn more and teach in person and learn from their caregivers in order to build our product. Um, and by the time we got into Techstars, um, we were inching closer to the 100 care, uh, agency mark. Um, and so between 2017 and 2018, we raised a seed round um, and brought on um, a really great sales team, um, actually from a competitor of ours, um, and uh, a head of sales from a competitor of ours. Um, and to this day, um, we, you know, operate with um, within 1,000 locations throughout the U.S. Um, in terms of our product. So um, it was just a, a really interesting set of learnings. I'm learning to this day because now, you know, we've gone from MVP to pre-selling to product to now scaling. Um, and so it's a really, really cool time within Care Academy. Yeah, and actually bring us up to speed. So what's the current state of the state of Care, Care Academy? Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, we serve uh, 1,000 locations uh, throughout the U.S. and growing, um, especially in this moment um, that a lot of home care is leaning into uh, you know, caring for older adults and the demand. Um, we actually see the opportunity and we announced as part of our Series A um, that we were going to be the company that scaled 1 million direct care workers um, and brought them in in order to realize one, um, greater healthcare outcomes because we believe that great care is great healthcare, right? And I think that's what's missing over the last 20 years of long-term care is that healthcare also realizes in this moment, it also needs home care. So um, we are at this point um, materializing that in more ways than one. So we've built out a really 
product that is very compelling. And then we now see other ancillary opportunities to kind of build around that, uh, whether it is skilling and upskilling, you know, the direct care worker um, and, you know, adding on that capacity into the long-term care industry and learning how to speak to healthcare um, through um, some really great products that we're, we're in the background working on. Um, I think there's a ton of opportunities, so we're, we're super excited and we're growing out the team. So uh, if anyone's listening and within earshot and looking for a really exciting opportunity with a, a company that works essentially in a recession-proof business because of you know, who we're serving, um, we'd love to talk to you, definitely. Quick, quick shout out. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. So in COVID-19, like it just sounds like, just speaking from my own experience, like I, if I can keep my dad healthy and if you know things don't remain that way if i can keep them at home that's right that would be the preference than having to put them in a nursing home so how is the thought process of covid19 affecting your business and absolutely um and one of the things that we talk about is this we really had to lean into this moment and on behalf of our customers and also the caregivers um so making sure that because and I'll, I'll also even be very upfront. Um, caregivers always have the expectation of being the ones who show up with any infectious disease in the home, right? So it doesn't necessarily have to be a pandemic per se, but whether, you know, clients, I showed up when folks couldn't, when our, some of my clients had the flu. Um, so infectious disease is part of the makeup and the expectation of what caregivers do in the home. Um, and so it was making that writ large, right? Um, and teaching specifically about this infectious disease. Um, and because we, we, we knew caregivers were going to homes where folks could potentially be infected and um, clients actually wanted the reassurance that caregivers understood this, knew this, could attest to it um, and, and, and furthermore prevent it. Um, and so, we put out that very first class that really functioned in, in many, and we built out a, on, on top of that, right? Uh, we've built out a whole set of certifications that um, speak to COVID, especially right now that we've gone from a decline back to a surge, unfortunately, within the US. Um, we're gonna see, unfortunately, I think we're already starting to see more cases and, and folks, even if they are recognized with the disease, are asked to triage and, 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 and take you know, cover at home, right? They're not going into hospitals per se. Um, so uh, unless they're very, very sick. And so um, that was, that's, that's been part of our, our sync for the last couple months. Uh, now we're coming into that and saying holistically, where does the story of COVID and teaching skills around COVID fit in with a whole other set of skills, right? So we, most people don't only, you're not only treating one thing within a person, it is, um, you know, dementia. Um, and so we've even upped all of our classes to address some of the concerns that, you know, caregivers will have around a whole set of, you know, um, you know, different diseases and how to best work with clients, you know, under this new normal. Um, so we've really leaned into being a resource first and foremost. Some of it are things that we intuit. Most of the things are things that our customers are directly telling us they need from us, whether it's product build or content and things like that. Um, so we're just listening more. We're doing the same things that we've always done. We're doing more of it um, because I think the very, this moment calls for, for doing more of it. And how you deliver the content, it's it's easier to digest for the caregivers, right? It's more at their leisure or, you know, on their own time, I should say. And it's, you know, it's mobile, it's bite-sized clips of training versus sitting there for, you know, a week That's of right. training, right? That's right. And, and it was imagining, so content is part of our overall product, right? We have this platform that serves the needs of agencies and also helps agencies understand the, the, the capital, the talent and the capital that they have, you know, within their workforce. Um, and so much of that was built as thinking about um, whether it's the user or the agency as the, as the, the customer, right? Um, I think in education, we say, all right, because we're providing it, it's good enough and walk away. Um, but in healthcare education, I think Care Academy completely reimagines the proposition. We don't see this person as just a user. You know, a caregiver is giving us their time and their very limited time. So we reimagined how we serve on our platform from that perspective. And that thinking changes everything. Um, and so we offer those sort of 
bite-sized pieces just so it's digestible, it's actionable right away. Um, and we built that with the understanding that, you know, we can keep building on top of that in order to credentialize people, recognize people. But first, people wanted to be, we have to have people who are willing to take in what we're offering. And so we actually see um, upwards of a 90% completion rate within the first couple of weeks um, from caregivers who have a certain set of courses just because of the way that we provide that offering on our platform. Well, let's uh, shift gears a little bit. So, um, you know, b- how have you gone about building the team? That can be one of the biggest challenges. So, you know, from the early days to where you are now, and you mentioned you're hiring. So how do you think about, you know, building a team? And, um, you know, obviously it's it's even more challenging right now as, you know, people working remote. Yeah, absolutely. I think that everything, I always like to have like sort of a root word and then kind of go, I was an English teacher, so you'll forgive me. Um, it's just being intentional, right? Um, everything is about intentionality. And I think, I'm, I'm fortunate in that there are not a whole lot of distractions. Um, we're through fundraising, and so that is over and done with. And so I get to focus more on the business, but I think of entrepreneurship as a craft. Um, and so I'm in this moment intentionally seeking to hone and learn and listen from people who've done this before, um, especially based on our own aspirations. We have some very audacious three and five and 10 year goals as a company. Um, and so I've been studying how to be a better entrepreneur. and um, the way that we've built our business, um, even over the last couple of years, has really been predicated on that. So we're a very customer-centric and sort of sales-forward company. Um, so learning how to do sales within Care Academy is really important. And it's also the team that we focused on first, right? Because that is not only revenue quite practically, but more importantly, it's also learning. Um, and it's also our direct access to learning to build a, a really incredible product. Um, and so everything kind of has stemmed from there. We built out a really great, uh, you know, sales team, um, customer success. So making sure that once you get the customers, you keep them. Um, that's a really yeah, important that's a function. <laughs> it's a good thing. It's a very good thing. And then all things sort of flowing from there. And so how do we refine our product to meet the needs of customers over time? Um, who are our customers and kind of learning? And, 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 and so everything's just sort of an outflow of that. Um, bringing on the customers, understanding the needs of customers, building for customers and users. Um, and then also thinking about how do we not only do the thing well that we've really done, it's become part of our core and double down on that. But I'm also thinking about, you know, this bigger vision. I really believe, and we're executing right now that home care is a part of healthcare, right? And so that means Care Academy is going to do and function in in, and, and do things differently and seek to do things differently. And we have a little bit of room to do that now that we ever had, especially with the capital, to make bigger and smarter bets on how health, home care approximates with health care. Um, so that is, you know, understanding how do customers and how do and, and older adults benefit from having a caregiver who's learned all these skills, right? And how do we measure that? Mm-hmm. Those are what is are, are, are the immediate future things that we're working on and understanding in order to, I think, build a much more compelling product and company. So it's sort of the order of operations in my mind is like, you got to create something viable, get it out there and build on top of it intelligently with customers in mind and then build, everything becomes an outflow of that, right? So this function of scaling that we're undergoing right now, um, specifically on our, on our sales and marketing, as well as our product teams, um, and we're, we're, we're hiring for, for different folks on the engineering side, as well as the product side, um, is really an outflow of what we're learning from customers and what we need like right now, and then also the vision that I have for Care Academy in terms of moving it closer to healthcare. So are there any uh, apps you can't live without? Oh man, apps I can't live without. I actually, you know, I think even um, my calendar betrays kind of the apps that I rely on. So I, um, I love to, uh, I'm uh, a shout out to Google. Um, I have done a couple of interviews with Google and said, if you shut off Google Drive and all those things right now in the G Suite, <laughs> we'd be in trouble. So um, a lot of things on Google. Um, I also am a huge believer in taking time to reflect and meditate and, you know, kind of recenter and so I use something called the abide app um, it's just a really great way for me to step back in the middle of the day and process 
Um, and uh, yeah, I we love Asana. Um, I keep my own personal self organized as well as the company. We've been using Asana for several years, so uh, it's really boring, but also like all very necessary. Those are the very necessary. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what about any podcasts or book recommendations? Ooh, yeah. Actually, I um I, I took some time off. Um, and I've been taking just a couple of chunks of time just to kind of pull back and think forward. Um, I will, I will shoot them over now. So, uh, the great CEO within, um, is just amazing. Um, I'm really, um, I'm, I'm really in love with this book. I think that it's actually a book that I was recommended, um, on a, on a blog and I can't remember, but it's a wonderful guidebook of, um, and it's also a kind of a, a, a overview of some of the the best tried and true, um, you know, thoughts of, of being a, a leader. Uh, so it's a great shorthand book for a whole, all the leadership books you were meaning to read but haven't gotten to. And then monetizing innovation about just product development and how to rethink product development with a very customer centric mindset. Um, and then the blogs, I mentioned the Pillar VC one, First Round Capital does an amazing job. Um, I actually, as we were looking for a um, head of marketing, uh, they had a remarkable blog piece that I suggest everyone checks out, every entrepreneur within the range of my voice checks out in terms of who you need and what you need as a market, marketer. I'm one of those founders who didn't respect marketing until we actually needed it. Um, so um, I, I always love some of the blogs that they're, they're putting out, um, but there, there are tons out there and those are for me your tried and true ones. Yeah, yeah, Pillar is amazing. And uh, yeah, the first round review, like, it would, I mean, that's just, they go deep on lots and lots yeah, of Yeah, 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 yeah. And Venture Fizz, yeah. Well, that goes without <laughs> saying. Like, <laughs> how, how about outside of work? What, what do you like to do? I, all the things that I used to like to do are, are very public. And so I loved, you know, like, I love traveling, right? And so um, I had intended this year to go to Brazil. That's not going to happen right now because Brazil is like sort of second place right now in terms of COVID development. So that's not something for this year. Um, but uh, it's given me more time to pursue um, just reading. Um, I'm a huge nerd. I used to spend like hours in the library growing up. And so I get to, I'm building my own library and then also getting to spend more time just reading and reflecting and um, sharing ideas. So, yeah. Well, Helen, thanks so much for taking the time to walk us through, you know, your, your background story and, you know, the great advice you shared. And of course, all the, the great work you're doing with, with Care Academy, because it's very meaningful work too. Thank you so much. I it's been a pleasure and an honor too. I um, I came into Boston reading what you guys were creating, and so um, it's just a, it's, a, it's just full circle um, and a great opportunity. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for your support. Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFizz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.